know if you uh, tracked with this, but uh, earlier this month, Facebook did away with a, a pretty big function on their platform. It was the trending panel on their timeline. For those of you that aren't uh, familiar with Facebook, Facebook has a timeline, and then off to the right, it used to have this list of trending topics. And basically, it was like a summary of all the big stories in the world uh, that got the most shared. Uh, so Facebook would use an algorithm to figure out what people are talking about the most. And over on the right, you would get, I don't know what it was, like seven to ten uh, news headlines uh, all over the world that were occurring. And uh, they did away with it because people hated it, I guess. But I loved it. I loved it because I am an information junkie. I love to soak up information. It's part of why I love doing this. I just love learning. I love information. I love data. And then I like spewing all of that all all over you. Uh, It's my favorite thing in life. And yet there's so much stuff happening. There's so much things out there. I don't have time to read every possible thing, every news article. So this was really nice for me. I just get 10 quick headlines, uh, and in a matter of minutes, I can just get a general sense, even if it wasn't a, a whole sense, I get a general sense of things happening in the world. And I, I, really, I really enjoyed that. And so earlier in June, when a notification came my way and said, we're doing away with this as a part of their... their uh, 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 thing and cleaning, cleaning up house, I should say, uh, I was a little bummed. I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? How am I, I going to learn about stuff and life events and know what's going on? You know, I, we don't have uh, cable television. We don't get magazines. We don't have a newspaper. Uh, we play in the dirt. You know what I mean? So I don't have any of that stuff. Facebook was where I got it. That's like, even if I didn't read the article, I could at least every night just get a very quick five-minute update on the things that were happening around me, and I really enjoyed it. So I started freaking out, like, oh, no, I'm going to be so irrelevant on Sunday mornings. I'm not going to know what's going on in the world. And uh, they just notified me that this was going to happen, as they did everybody on Facebook, but they didn't tell me when. They just said sometime in the near future, and I was just app- just apprehend, uh, just uh, anticipating this, this fallout, and I remember one day it just happened. They didn't warn me. I just opened up Facebook, and the timeline, the, the Facebook trends were no longer there. And I was like, oh, oh, no, okay, it's happening. This is happening. I no longer know anything that's happening in the world around me. And I just kind of went into it deep in prayer, hoping that God would uh, keep me together. And, you, you know, you'll never guess what happened to me that, that following week. I survived. No, it's quite true. I live to see another day. And I'm here, weeks later, still alive. I have not had my daily dose of Facebook news, and I'm still here breathing and okay. It's amazing. Shocking, I know, but here I am, yeah. Uh, In fact, this is really strange, but it almost feels like, I don't know if there was an immediate corollary, but it almost felt like my life got just a little better. I don't know if I can attach it to things, but I started noticing in retrospect, like, oh, you know, like, now that I don't have it anymore, I, I started to realize most of the stories, not just on Facebook, but on, on any type of news outlet, was just kind of discouraging and depressing, you know? It was like the, the nature of news. It's never, like, happy. You never see a story trending on Facebook that's like, sea manatee uh, gives a high five to a great white shark off the coast of Monterey. More at 10, you know? <laughs> Watch the video. It's never stuff like that. Like, oh, that's so cute. 
It's more like great white shark mauls a sea manatee off the coast in front of a high school bus. They all had mobile phones. Watch the viral video. Click now. That's like the news right there. And you watch, like reading that every day, you're like, oh, I hate this. I hate my life. I hate the world. It's like uh, a ten, 10 common kitchen items that you did not know were killing you that are in your kitchen right now and are probably killing you at this very moment. Is life sustainable on Mars? Who cares? You, don't, you can't afford it anyway, and you're dying because of what's in your kitchen. This is like the new, and so I just like weeks after, I'm like, I feel so happy. I feel so hopeful. What's going on? And it wasn't just that. It was like I, I spent less time on the screen, and so I had to figure out other stuff to do. I'm like, what do people do? You know, maybe I'll go to the beach. Maybe I'll read a book. Maybe I'll just go to sleep. Started going to sleep earlier, waking up refreshed. It was amazing. It, I don't know if it's immediately correlated, but it felt like my life just got a little happier and easier. And I learned in that that, I mean, there's important stuff out there that we should know. It's not that. I, I think what I discovered was not everything is that important. Not everything out there is that important. There are important things, but not everything that comes our way is always that important. Uh, you might be like, well, what are you going to do as a pastor and a preacher if you don't know what's happening in the world? How are you going to know how to be relevant in the world? Well, interesting thing about being a pastor, let me tell you, is that if I don't speak about something, people will let me know. I'll get the emails. So that's covered for me. I don't need the news. It's awesome. And I'm breathing a little lighter these days. I stumbled upon this truism, at least for me. I don't know if, you've, uh, if you can resonate with this, but uh, not everything is that important. There are important things that we should know and do, but not everything is that important. Not everything that people tell you is important is that important. We're inundated with things and stuff and what people think of us and tell us is important, but not everything is that important. On the heels of that, I want to read to you uh, the first chunk of this passage because I, I think we're going to see this start to surface to the top in the centurion's life. It says in verse 1, after he had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So right off the bat, you see what's going on. The centurion whose servant is sick, hears about Jesus, wants Jesus to come to his house and heal him, sends a delegation of his Jewish friends to, ta uh, to get the, this rabbi, this trusted rabbi to his house to heal his servant. And they come with what on their lips? Facebook headlines. You gotta hear about this guy. The centurion, he is incredible. He's done all of these wonderful things for us. He's built us a synagogue. He's not like the other centurions. For those of you that uh, might not know, Rome was a picture of brutality and occupation. If you were Roman in anywhere uh, that, was, uh, uh, that had uh, Israelite people, uh, you were the most hated and feared and intimidated of them all. Rome was known for sacking the world, 
for occupying every territory and taking it by brutal force. It was the the Romans who brought to the limelight crucifixion. They did not uh, invent it. That was the Persians. But the Romans perfected it. It would later be Jesus who died on an executionary tool of the Romans, the, the, the crucifix. And it was this tool that the Romans would use to intimidate traitors, to intimidate any uprisings. We will kill you if you cross us, and we will kill you in the most humiliating, shameful, and painful way you've ever imagined in your life. Don't mess with Rome. And so right here in the middle of this little town of Capernaum, a Roman centurion, the picture of that brutality is actually a little bit different than the rest of them, it seems. He's still a Roman. He's still a soldier. He's still there to uh, extend the occupation of Rome in Capernaum. But the local townspeople like him. They're like, he, a- he actually respects our nation. He respects us. He loves our nation. He even built a synagogue for us. This is unheard of. And so they're rattling off the list, a laundry list of things, why Je- uh, reasons why Jesus should consider this guy. He's worthy. He's worthy, Jesus, for you to do these things for him because he loves our nation and he is the one who has built us our synagogue. I often find myself reasoning with God this way. Jesus, I'm worthy because look at what I did. Look at what I built. Anyone ever do this? I think you should be, help help me out, Lord. After all, I've been faithfully attending church. I have not uh, cussed out my neighbor in the last 72 hours. And uh, I give generously and I smile a lot. (laughs) I'm not a terrible, okay, to be perfectly honest, I'm a terrible person. But I'm not that terrible. Like, look at that guy over there. Find ourselves reasoning, even if it's not with God. Like, why am I going through this? I'm a good person. I find myself finding, uh, finding our, our worth, finding my worth. Perhaps you, in a moment of introspection, start trying to find your worth in the things that you do and build for yourself. He's worthy, Jesus. Consider him. After all, he loves our nation. He built for us a synagogue. Now, against the backdrop of that, I want you to see the centurion. I don't know what happened to the centurion or when it happened, but something shifts in his life, and he shifts the narrative. In verse 4 through 5, excuse me, in verse 6, it says, when he was not far from the house, so his Jewish friends and elders got to Jesus. Jesus is now on the way. They convinced him to come visit the centurion and to heal his household, heal his servant. But as he's not far from the house, the centurion, verse 6, sent friends saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. Look at that. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Switches the narrative. His Jewish elder friends, you got you to gotta see this guy, Lord. He's worthy. The centurion, I am not worthy. Don't even step foot in my house. A shift in the narrative. And this is something the gospel writer Luke wants us to see right now. He wants us to see, I think, that not everything that we think is important is that important. I think that's one of the things. He built a synagogue. He loves our nation. He does good stuff. He's a pretty good guy. He's impressive. Look at his resume. He talks very well. She's really successful. What great parents. How awesome are they in the community? 
the things that we normally attach value to don't always seem to be that valuable to God. And in the narrative that Luke is, uh, is unraveling for us, he shows us not everything is that important. Now, Jesus does go, but we're gonna see, we see from the mouth of the centurion itself a revelation in his mind. These things aren't that significant. It was significant to the Jewish people. That is, that's a lot of love right there. But the centurion realizes something, I think, about Jesus. These things aren't that important. We also see in this little shift things that are important. I want you to skip ahead. We'll cover all this stuff in the middle in a second. Skip ahead to verse 9 in your Bibles. Uh, for those of you that uh, don't have Bibles, it's right there on the screen. Look at, look at this line. When Jesus, this is verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, we'll get to these things in a bit, but when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Jesus marveled at the centurion. I want you to look at the four most stunning words in this entire story. I don't use the word marveled very often, but this word is synonymous with surprised. Jesus was surprised (laughs) at the centurion. Now, if you know uh, Christian beliefs and doctrines, you know that we believe that Jesus, according to the scriptures, is fully human, 100% human. He's also 100% God. So even though he has the body of a human, he has all the personality traits of the human, feels like a human being because he is a human being, even has human limitations like a human being, yet without sin, without fault, without mistake, he's also 100% God in the flesh. And this scripture is telling us right now, God got surprised. It doesn't mean that something happened that he didn't know what was happening. It means he was stunned by something that happened. Allow these four words to sink into your heart, from your mind to your heart. Jesus marveled at something. I can't stop looking at this phrase. We'll get to the these things that marveled him in a second. Don't read ahead. I just want you to reflect for a solid, hot minute that Jesus got surprised at something. Only two times in the Bible are we told that Jesus was marveled. And I'll talk about the other time later. Just let that sink in. Jesus marveled. He was surprised, like, what? At the centurion. Now, there are a lot of things about God that surprise me. There are a lot of things in the world that surprise me. What is a type of thing that would surprise Jesus? How many of you know there's a lot of things in life? I think what we've landed on in this text, at least so far, is that not everything is that important. But how many of you know and would say amen to what surprises Jesus must be pretty important? If God is surprised by something, it must be pretty important. Notice the things that don't make the list in the story. Notice the things that do not make the cut of what surprises God. There's a lot of stuff that happens in here. The centurion is actually an anomaly. This is Roman occupation and oppression. This would be the most hated guy in Capernaum had he not been so gentle and kind and loving. Like his servant is on the ground dying, and he's like, he's up in arms over it. He builds the Jewish people a synagogue instead of tearing it down, which most of them did. Like, this is a pretty good guy. He's using his power maybe for good, or at least more than, than he would have been expected to. That doesn't seem to make the cut. It makes the cut for the Jewish people, but it doesn't seem to 
uh, garner too much attention in the text. Notice this is a miracle story. Jesus will heal the guy's servant. And all throughout the Gospels, miracle stories shine like lights about the power of God's kingdom. And the miracle in most of those stories is the fulcrum. It is the apex of the story. There's a story being told by the gospel writer. It reaches this apex, this point in the story where, bam, the miracle happens. And people are like, whoa. And then Jesus teaches about the kingdom. And it's all right there in the miracle. This is one of the few miracle stories where the, the miracle itself it looks like an afterthought. It doesn't even get a whole verse it's just told in passing. The guy gets supernaturally healed. And Luke just kind of skips over it, ends uh, just very casually. No, the apex of this is that Jesus marveled at somebody. At what? The miracle didn't make the cut. The centurion's good deeds didn't make the cut. What makes the cut? When Jesus heard these things that the centurion said, he marveled at him. <laughs> I want to be the type of person that marvels Jesus. I want to be the type of person that blows his mind, like a centurion. This is wild to me. Notice that Luke tells us what happens. It's when Jesus heard these things, referring to what the centurion said in response to what Jesus was about to do in his life. So what blows Jesus' mind is human response to his activity in their life. What blows Jesus' mind is not our huge resume of accomplishments or talents. It's not even what he's able to do. Miracles are, will blow our mind. That's just a dime a dozen for Jesus. What surprises Jesus is how people respond in anticipation, it seems, to his working and to his activity. Turn to someone next to you and say, this must be important. We're about to read what must be important, verse 7 through 8. Remember the centurion, the centurion, he just got done rejecting what the elders thought was important. It's not about my synagogue. It's not about the good things that I've done. It's not the things that I, I might have thought in, in a past life made me worthwhile and valuable to other people and to God. He says, don't even come into my house. I'm not worthy. And then he says this. This is, this is what's important, verse 7 through 8. But Lord, say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. End quote. Anyone uh, hear that and feel like that was a little anticlimactic? Like I was expecting more fireworks. What exactly about that, that passage there marveled Jesus? Well, what this Roman centurion is referring to, and he says it, is he's referring to authority. He's referring to Jesus' authority, and he sees something in Jesus' authority that is blowing the centurion's mind. And if I could explain this by way of a lengthy paraphrase, I'd like to do that. Let me just paraphrase, pretend I'm the centurion. Jesus, I just got word that Jesus was coming to my house to heal someone in my home, and I send the message back, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna take a little bit of liberty with this in my paraphrase, but something like this. Well, Jesus, I've, 
I've been studying up. I've been getting pretty close to, to the people of Israel, learning about the Torah, learning about temple worship, and built them a synagogue, got so into it, and been learning about stuff, and been learning about the promises of God and about someone who would come. And I've heard about you. I've heard about the things that you've been doing, and you seem to match the description. I think, I think you're, you might be the person. I'm not actually worthy. I've done some things in my life. I'm pretty bad, actually, to tell you the truth. But I'm not that worthy. I, I think I know who you are. I think you have an authority that this world has never seen before. And I know something about authority. I'm a military commander. I'm a centurion. And what that means is I uh, lead at least 100 brutal war-seasoned soldiers. And even though these are warriors, they do everything that I tell them. I know something about authority. I tell one of them to do this, and he does it. I tell one of them to do that, and he does it. I don't have to justify myself. I don't have to explain myself. I give them one word, and they do it immediately. But you, well, I imagine one word from you. I think you're different than me. I think there's an authority in you that I've never seen before in my life, and for that reason, I am not worthy. But you, you can say the word, and you can heal my entire household. You don't even have to show up in my house. When I give commands, they have to be face-to-face. We don't have texting. We don't have email. i got to speak it into their ears. But you, you don't even have to come into my home. Your words transcend walls. Your words go through buildings. You can speak in Madagascar and change the Antarctic. You, there's something about you that is different than my authority. I know a little bit about authority, but I'm seeing in your authority something different. You don't even have to come here, and I would prefer that you don't because you're something like I've never seen before in my life. I am not worthy, but you are worthy. And if you just say a word, your word will transcend walls. It'll transcend sickness. It'll transcend human ability. It'll transcend disability. It'll transcend poverty. It'll transcend brokenness. It'll transcend because there's something about you. Chris Lazo translation of the Bible, super long. (laughs) That Bible would be like this long, which is why we don't have it. But if by way of paraphrasing to explain why Jesus must have been blown away, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through 25 tells us that human uh, flesh or human activity is fragile, delicate, and temporary. Peter said all flesh, all human activity is like the grass. And let me tell you about the grass. The grass burns. It fades away. And the flowers of the field fade away. But the word of the Lord stands forever. There's something different about this guy's word. It transcends, it's eternal, it lasts, and it moves mountains. You read about the word of Jesus. His words move mountains, it calms storms, it opens blind eyes, it casts out demons, it brings light in a dark place, and it doesn't even need to be in the building to do it. I'm not worthy, but if you just say the word, it's going to happen, because that seems to be the thing that happens when you speak. Why would Jesus be blown away by that? Well, look at the rest of verse 9. 
after it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I tell you, Jesus says, not even in all of Israel have I found such faith. What is he marveling at? The faith of an outsider, a centurion, an oppressor. (laughs) But somehow in the midst of Capernaum, which Jesus would later reject because he did all of these miracles and they didn't care, the bad guy gets it. The bad guy is like, I, I, I can almost see him like just with his Jewish friends and all the leaders of Israel at the time doing his thing and like, they're all like, yeah, 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 whatever. And he's like, dude, this guy. They're rejecting him, they're questioning him and the Roman centurion is like, I'm gonna go see him. Actually, stay right there. Just speak a word because you're, you're something else. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You know what faith is? Faith is a shift in confidence from something to another thing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is the confidence that we have in things that we hope for. It is the evidence of the things that we do not yet see. And yet we see it with our spiritual eyes. That's faith. We believe that it's going to happen because somebody said it's going to happen. And even though it has not yet happened, we can bank on it that it's going to happen. And so we realign our lives to match what we believe is going to happen because of God's word. Faith is a shift in confidence. Or in other words, if you want a picture of what faith is, it's I am not worthy, but man, if you say the word, it's going to happen. And so let me rearrange my life around the word that you have said. Because I want to catch up to the things that you have said. Faith. Faith surprises Jesus. It seems to stun him. It's faith that marvels him in this example. It's what Jesus says marvels him when he heard these things. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel, in all of Israel have I found such faith, and he's marveled by it. Faith surprises Jesus. Only two times are we told in the Bible that Jesus has ever been marveled by something. That, that word speaks of emotion. He's surprised. The only other time is in another gospel where it's told that a crowd uh, did not believe in the things that he said, and the gospel writer says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. What marvels Jesus? What surprises him? Unbelief, faith. Or in other words, Jesus, Jesus' mind gets blown based on the human response to his present activity in their lives. Either a rejection of his goodness and present activity or an all-out, sold-out desire and passion for it. He knows it's going to happen and he knows it's going to not happen. And yet when it, when it does happen in the affirmative, it seems to, seems to blow his mind. This must be important. All throughout the scriptures, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith as we call it, examples of people that live by faith, we see stuff like this. By faith, verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place uh, that he was to receive as an inheritance. Uh, And he went out, not knowing where he was going, but by faith he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. What is he saying? 
It's saying God called him out into the wilderness because that was going to be the land of promise. But it's not the land of promise on day one. It's a wilderness. And Abraham stepped out. In other words, Abraham said, I'm not worthy and I don't see this happening. But if you said the word, it's going to happen. So let me rearrange my life around what you said is going to happen. When he had a son, even though he was 100 years old, his wife was 100 years old, God said, don't worry about it. I know you're barren and you're 100 You're probably going to die soon, but you're going to be the father of many nations. (laughs) What did Abraham Abraham say after they had a brief chuckle to themselves? Sarah laughed. Said, I believe you. I'm not worthy, and that is impossible, but if you said the word, it's going to happen. Let me rearrange my life in faith around what you said is going to happen. That'll blow God's mind. He's looking for people. Who believe in his word. This must be important. Faith is the fulcrum of God's activity. It is that space, that substance, that space in which he is able to move. Now, faith is not, it's not that faith forces God to do something that he doesn't want to do. Faith does not obligate God to do something that he doesn't want to do. Let's just say, let's just put it this way. Faith makes him giddy to do certain things. That's how I would put it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. That would mean uh, on the positive side that with faith it pleases God. That word for uh, pleasing God means to, uh, to gratify extensively. Makes him giddy. I understand this just a little bit because I, I have a couple kids. One of them just turned uh, four. His name is Jude. And Jude wants to do all the dangerous things, all the unhealthy things, wants to eat all all the things that a good parent should never let him eat. And I usually come into those things strong, right? No, you can't have that, eat this broccoli, you know? (laughs) I come in strong, my chest puffed out, like, you're going to eat this broccoli and you're going to do what I tell you to do and you're going to love it and you're going to be a good boy, you know? And then he's like, I want candy. And I'm like, you can't have candy. I want ice cream. You can't have ice cream. I want, a, you know, I want a toy truck. You can't have a toy truck. I want your truck. You can't have my truck. And, but then he does this thing. He does this thing where he, like, he just turns on the, the, the drama. And it's cute drama. He puffs his little, his little bottom lip out. And his eyes get all big like this. And they're blue eyes just like, his, just like his mama, Brianna. And so I don't know if I'm looking at Jude or I'm looking at Brianna. And I'm like, what is going on? This is so confusing. What is this sorcery? And then he turns on the charm. He's like, but dad, you know? And he just like, he slows down his speech a little bit. He gets a little sobby and he looks at me and he's like, but dad, I want one. And in that moment, I'm like, here's the keys to my car. Take it. (laughs) Credit card, keys to the car. Have all the candy you want. Do whatever you need. That is just so sweet. I can't help it. And here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that moment. After the fact, I do not feel guilty about that. I do not feel bad. I, I never leave situations where my son takes advantage feeling like I got snookered. I don't. I love it. I want him to talk that way to me. It's better than tantrums, right? I would rather he came up to me all just sweet and cute, like, I'll give you anything, bro. Same with my daughter. Like, hey, you talk to me like that. You make me feel like a good dad. I'll give you your heart's desire. I don't care. Here's your mom's credit card. Go have a good time. <laughs> have fun at Nordstrom, you know? I never leave feeling suckered because those are my kids, and I love it when they talk to me like that. I get giddy. 
And here's the thing about faith. Faith isn't just, I know that God can do something. This is not where the centurion was at. The centurion stepped out into something wholly different. The centurion wasn't saying, I know that God can heal my servant, but I know that he will heal my servant if I just ask. Faith doesn't stop with what we believe in our minds God can do. It moves into what he will do if we just ask. If we believe that according to his will we can have what we, ask, uh, what we ask him, he will be faithful to do it. It's not just what God is able to do. It's not just his ability. It's also his goodness. Faith is trust in the goodness of God. It's not that, oh, he has the ability to shine light into my life and to heal brokenness and to put things together, but he's not going to, but he can, you know. He's just going to wave the carrot and dangle it in front of my face and go, ha, 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 ha. No, faith in the centurion is, I know he will. And if you just say the word, it'll happen. Faith isn't just, I know he is able. It is, I know that he is good. And he's kind. And he's full of loving kindness and compassion. And faith is trusting in God's active presence and goodness in your life, even when it does not appear to be that way at the moment. It is this insatiable, relentless belief that somehow in the middle of the fire, God is going to be good. Say the word, Lord, and it'll happen. Say the word, Lord, and what you said will happen. I'm not worthy, but God, you can heal my family if you want, and you can heal my relationships and you can heal my broken heart and soul and you can get me through this particularly difficult season in life and you can be present for me in the midst of this suffering. Just say the word. This must be important. It is important because one word from God can change your life. One word from Jesus Christ can change your life. And some of you have been spending the last few years looking for a word from other people. The Facebook trending list of your friends and family and coworkers and other people in your life, Santa Barbara community, looking for words of affirmation to hoist you up to a place of success, to make you feel like you are valuable and you are worthwhile and you are going to matter in this life, looking everywhere except the one place that matters, the one word that you actually need. Here to tell you this morning that none of that other stuff matters. Only one's, one person's opinion of you matters today. And he speaks. Some of you have been tired beat up, bedraggled, worn out because you haven't just started looking for words of affirmation. You've been doing that for years and you're tired. Instead of words of affirmation, you've gotten cursed. You've gotten torn down and pushed down. Your worth has been tied to your failures or successes and it's wearing you out. And if there's anything that we can get from this text, it's that in the middle of your Capernaum is a man who walks the streets, who over and above all the other opinions is longing to tell you what he thinks about you. 
is longing for you to stop attaching so much worth and importance to other people's opinions, to even your trajectory in life. For some of you, you're like, I made mistakes in my life and I can't recover. If I would have done this right, this right, this right, and this right, maybe I'd be in a different place. I'm a failure. I've gotten kicked, uh, kicked around too many times. I don't know if I can recover, and I don't know if anything could be made of my life. If you would only look away from this piece of the puzzle that you're looking up, up to the hills where your help comes from, you would see the God of the universe with his arms wide open saying, if you would only run to me, I would speak over you a banner of love. I would pronounce over you the things that I see in you, not, in the, not the things that other people see in you or even that you see in yourself. God is longing and waiting from on high to pronounce you to be his beloved. That is what you were made for. And all you need to do is have a little faith. You don't even need a lot. Jesus said, gosh, the amount of faith that's the size of a mustard seed, if you just had a little bit, if you just had a little glimpse, a little flame inside that was like, I wonder if God is real, I'll take that. And it'll move mountains. If you just for a moment looked up to Jesus, you might see the God of the universe with all power and authority and lordship over the universe waiting, kneeling down in front of you saying, just come to me and find rest for your weary souls. And if you knew what was available to you, you might run like a maniac on fire into his arms. Even faith itself is a gift. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 uh, tells us that faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the words of Jesus Christ. It's by listening to him that our faith in him is stirred up. And we long more and see more clearly and turn our faces all the more throughout the rest of our lives as we're listening to what God is saying. I'm going to ask Robert and uh, Colette to come out here as we sing together and I just want to leave it right here at this. I believe God is already speaking words into your life, into some of your lives right now. But the things that we have set up, the busyness, the activity, the synagogues that we're building for ourselves, our resumes, our our stuff, our drama, our hurt and pain threatens to crowd out the word of Christ, and he's speaking to you right now. And maybe the best thing that you've ever done in your life might be to slow down on a Sunday morning on July 1st in Santa Barbara and to listen to the word of the Lord for the first time. I don't know what he's saying to you right now, but I know it's going to be good. And I want you, maybe for the first time, to step out in faith. What's that mean? Saying yourself. Whatever the way that looks like for you. Yeah, I'm not worthy. But God is loving. And the things that he speaks over me are true. And I want to find out what he says. And you begin listening. And you begin reading. And you go from there. And if you were to dare to do that, to step out in faith that way, you might discover what's actually important in life. What God says about you and what God says about himself. And in that place of importance, find true and lasting healing and true value and worth and a real reason and motive to get up in the morning on Monday and to try again.
It's not gonna come from the things that we built. It's not gonna come from our resume. It's not even gonna come from the ways that we've uh, circumvented failure or done good with our lives. It's not gonna come from how popular we are. It's not gonna come through self-medication. It's not gonna come through any of those things. It's only gonna come through the person who walks the streets of Capernaum into your living room, hopefully to hear somebody say, say the word, and what you say will happen. If that's you, I just want to invite you to receive. That's all faith is. It's not a work. It's just receiving. Receive the gift of God in Christ one word at a time.